It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. What can conservatives do to change the world? My next guest, Michael Patrick Leahy, has taken activism to a whole new level. As an author and founder of a conservative online newspaper that appears in four states as the Tennessee Star, the Ohio Star, the Minnesota Star, and the Michigan Star. Michael is also the host of a daily radio show the Tennessee Star Report that airs on 98.3 and 1510 WLAC. His radio show can be heard worldwide on iHeart Podcast. Help me to welcome Michael Leahy to the Be The People show. Carol, great to be with you. So Michael, we've known each other for a while and I appear every Thursday on your radio show. But what I don't really know is your journey. How did you become a conservative or were you sort of born that way or did something happen that was the turning point? That's a great question. And there was a turning point actually, as it turns out. So I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, I was born in Oswego. My dad was a, a teacher. He, he actually was a, uh, grew up in Quebec and moved to the United States and was drafted in 1951. And, they gave him the choice of uh, joining the army and becoming an American citizen or going back to Quebec. Well, he joined the army and never looked back. He was literally on a troop transport uh, train on his way to California to be shipped to Korea when uh, uh, President Eisenhower announced the armistice. So he went back to Clarksville, Tennessee, and he got his GED. He didn't have a high school diploma. and uh, he became a shop teacher. He went to Oswego State, where I was born in Oswego, right on Lake Ontario. And then from there, Carol, he went to uh, a series of jobs in small towns in upstate New York, where he was first a, an industrial arts teacher and then a chairman of the department. And then he became uh, the principal of a little small school in Danamora, New York, uh, 300 kids, K through 12. And it, was, it became famous. It's in Clinton County, just south of Quebec. And it became famous, Carol, because uh, there's a prison there. In fact, <laughs> some might say growing up in a prison town might explain a little bit about my attitudes toward things. <laughs> but, um, you know, the main street of this town, a little, little village of 2,000 people, and there are probably more prisoners in the prison than there were villagers in the town. And uh, we were called the Danamora Knights because we guarded the people. That was the nickname of the school. And you would walk down the main street, and on, on one side were houses and, and uh, uh, restaurants and, and stores. And on the other side was a 40-foot-high uh, cement wall that was about, you know, seemed like, you know, a quarter of a mile thick, but it was about half a mile long. So it was a very bizarre uh, circumstance when you first moved there. But, you know, my name is Michael Patrick Leahy, so I'm Irish. And in fact, we talked about them and also genealogy book. I, I subsequently found out that the far left 
um, uh, senator from Vermont, Patrick Leahy, Democrat, is my distant cousin. He's a third cousin, or to be more precise, a, a half third cousin. We have the same great great grandfather, Andrew Leahy, who came over from County Tipperary to uh, uh, Quebec in the 1840s. But we have different great great grandmothers, and so. I was, I grew up, I uh, was born in 1955, grew up in these little towns in upstate New York. And as you may recall, in 1960, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, an Irishman like me, a Democrat, ran for president. And he was young and vibrant and what a great guy. So uh, I attended a Catholic school, the uh, St. John's Fighting Irish. So how could you not be an Irish Catholic Democrat as a kid? And I emulated John Fitzgerald Kennedy. I wanted to be like John. Even the little black girl that's one year older than you. I was that little black girl that was one year older than you. And I love the Kennedys. Yeah. Well, he was very, he was photogenic, wasn't he? And, and, and yes. he, was, he was inspiring. And so, you know, I, in my mind, I thought, well, I'm going to be president of the United States. <laughs> right. Really? Well, it's not too late. I mean, you're on the right trajectory. You're young enough. It could happen. No, I don't think so, uh, for a number of reasons we'll get into in a bit. But um, so I was on that trajectory. I'm, you know, ambitious student, had, a, had an idyllic childhood. My parents were great. We lived in these little small towns in upstate New York where, you know, everybody was able to define themselves. Well, wait a minute. That means you had white privilege. I did. <laughs> we had a kid, Carol. Um, you'll find this interesting. In when I lived in Dannemora, I would have been this is 64, 65, would have been nine or ten. Every summer, we had kids from New York City, from the Bronx, come up, uh, and uh, they were fresh air kids. And there was this kid by the name of Richie Morales. His, he had a Hispanic name, but he's a black kid. And I'm telling you, we, you know, as kids, Carol, we would go and play sports all the time. All the time, you know, basketball, baseball, football. We did sports, 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 sports. And this kid, I mean, this kid was fabulous as a, as an athlete. He's about my size. We weren't, you know, just average size, but boy, could he play baseball. And I became actually quite good friends with him. And uh, you, know, you know, he came up a couple summers, and we just we always would compete to see who would, who would get him on their team because he could hit, he could field, he could run. Fantastic kid. And uh, so anyways, that was the first black person I ever met, Carol. Okay, so you have your one black friend. Two now with you. <laughs> you <get> two, right? <laughs> We're just joking for the listeners out there. We're going to take a break, and when I return, we'll learn more about Michael. Hello, I'm Carol Swain of Be The People. I'm proud to endorse Patriot Mobile, America's only conservative cell phone network. After years of dealing with big cell phone companies, I made the decision to support a business that supports my conservative Christian values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide phone service at an affordable price. Most importantly, a portion of the money you spend is given to organizations that support the sanctity of human life, gun rights, and religious liberty. There are no long-term contracts or hidden fees, and unlimited plans start as low as $25 a month. So do me a big favor. Contact Patriot Mobile at patriotmobile.com forward slash carol or call 972-PATRIOT. 
When you mention code CAROL, you'll get your activation fee waived and receive a free gift for switching service. Switch today and start supporting a company that supports your values. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. back with my guest, uh, Michael Patrick Leahy. I love to say Michael Patrick. So Michael <laughs> Patrick, uh, again, I'm really interested in when and how you became a conservative. And you're not just a conservative. Like my whole um, brand is Be the People. It's about activism. And I can't think of anyone I know that's a better uh, um, symbol or for the kind of activism I'd like to see more Americans engage in. Yeah, I would call myself a, a constitutional populist conservative. And how I got there is interesting because, as you know, continuing the story, I was ambitious and it was a Democrat. My whole family were Democrats. And uh, I mean, how could you not be a Democrat if you were Irish Catholic kid from upstate New York? I, I marveled. There was a guy there, last name was Walsh, who was a Republican congressman from Syracuse. I, I thought he was such a turncoat. Couldn't believe that an Irish Catholic guy would be Republican <laughs> when I was growing up. No, seriously. So then I decided I want to be like John F. Kennedy. And uh, unlike Kennedy, I came from a middle class family. I didn't realize this quite fully until I got to Harvard. So I went to Harvard, got into Harvard, and studied real hard. And, uh, you know, I, I would say I came out with kind of a uh, liberal democratic uh, perspective. In 1980, I went back to um, uh, my hometown between first and second year business school. And I managed the congressional campaign of a Democrat, Stan Lundeen, who won in 1980. And he later became Lieutenant Governor of New York under Mario Cuomo. He's a very good guy, but he's also um, has a different worldview than I do. After I got out of Stanford Business School, I was in management consulting for a while, and then decided to start my own business in California. Let me just tell you this. It was a real small, small business. The, the way you can become a conservative is to start, be a liberal, and start a small business in California. Within six months, you'll be a conservative, I promise you. <laughs> I mean, 10% state income taxes. Every time you turn around, there was another rule of regulation. And so it was very clear. In 1980, I did vote for uh, Jimmy Carter or Ronald Reagan. But by 1984, we're living in California. And I just could not bear to bring myself to vote for Walter Mondale. So I voted for Ronald Reagan, and I've been a conservative ever since. Now, was it about the taxes? Uh, the Democrats, they seem to love high taxes and high crime and a whole lot of other things, but was it the taxes, the regulation, or just that view of America? It was the, the regulation, the way they wanted to control everything a small business did, and none of the things they did made any sense to me, and there were very high taxes, very difficult to, to have a small business in California then, and particularly now, a it real small like, business. 
It sounds like the coronavirus uh, guidelines coming out of the blue states right now. <laughs> you nailed that one, Carol. Exactly right. So uh, you started following Ronald Reagan. Uh, have you ever served in any type of political office or you wanted to be president at one point, so I saw yeah. you positioning, positioning yourself for that. So in 1990, when we were living in California, uh, there was a, a, a congressional district that stretched from Santa Rosa all the way up to uh, Eureka in California. And I wanted to decide to run for that seat. And I started to run for it. And uh, I realized that um, A, raising money was difficult. And I had, I had sort of a, uh, oh, I suppose, on issues, a little bit of a fractiousness that didn't fit well in politics. In other words, I was very clear and precise on issues. And sometimes I remember I was, one of the issues I was for was school choice at that time. And um, uh, as it turned out, I raised $4,990. I remember that because it was below the 5,000 FEC threshold. And then another guy got in, a Republican, and he won the seat in a big upset. And uh, I just realized, I, I had uh, self-knowledge came to me, Carol, that I was better um, as a communicator and a, a, a grassroots activist than a political candidate. Well, I wish more people would realize what they're good at. And I myself, you know, like I feel like that I'm better as a strategist rather than the person that's actually, I don't know, I could do a better job than the, the current mayor of Nashville. So I don't know. Well, you, 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 you actually were an excellent candidate in my view. Um, you know, what I really got involved in political activism back in 2000, late 2008, after Barack Obama won, we, we moved to Nashville. That got, us a lot of, that got a lot of people involved in politics yeah. for the first time, even. We moved to Nashville in 1991. We've lived here ever since. Greatest state in the union. We lived in Tennessee. No, no state income tax really had a lot to do with it, as did the culture uh, here. And uh, uh, the Church of Christ, we were members of the Church of Christ. I converted when I got married to my lovely, beautiful wife from Texas. And uh, so it, after Barack Obama won in 2008, it was a very difficult time for conservatives. And so I started a group on Twitter called Top Conservatives on Twitter in late November, like a couple of weeks after the election, and it just went crazy. I mean, we had like 3,000 people sign up in like 24 hours. I was working on it like crazy, and it became a place of activism. And then when, uh, the famous Rick Santelli rant came about against the stimulus and the, the mortgage bailout proposed on February 19, 2009. Then a group of us held a conference call on February 20th, uh, 2009 about people you'd recognize like Jenny Beth Martin from Tea Party Patriots and my, my colleague now at, um, at the Tennessee Star, Christina Boteri, and uh, Amy Kramer and Judson Phillips and a whole bunch of folks, Mark Lloyd. And so we, what we did was we said, let's, let's start tea parties right now. Because Santelli said, let's have a Chicago tea party. And we said, in July. So we're not going to wait until July. All that energy will dissipate. Let's do it next week. And we did. We had like 50 tea parties on February 27th. And it was so great. We said, let's do it again on tax day. And on April 15th, 2009, we had over a million people show up in about a thousand uh, rallies around the country. And the tea party movement was really born. You know, Michael, initially, uh, people labeled the Tea Party as racist, and it was supposed to be nothing but whites, all whites at the rallies. 
uh, during this time after it was launched, I kept getting invitations to speak at Tea Party rallies, yeah. which, um, you know, I was very flattered because I had nothing against the movement. I understood that it was about God, country, and family, things I care about deeply as a Christian. And maybe at the third invitation, I decided that if people like me stayed away, you know, that share those same values, of course the uh, rallies would be all white. And so I spoke at maybe three, at least three rallies. Of course, that got me uh, labeled. I was already labeled anyway. Yeah. But I think it's very important, you know, for people to realize that the Tea Party movement was about values. And it had a lot of black people that came on board at some point. Yeah, there were three core values. Number one, constitutionally limited government. Number two, free markets. And number three, fiscal responsibility. And that was it. We all... Uh, focus on those. I was involved really as the guy who who managed the conference calls from the beginning of the Santelli rant till April 15th. That was sort of like, I guess, in that movement, my major contribution. It was kind of, kind of fun. It was like herding cats. You would, we'd have hundreds of people on the call, and some of them were, well, some of them were unusual, shall we say. Anyways, so um, then we drove, I mean, that energy uh, flipped the House and brought back um, Republican control, John Boehner and that crowd. They didn't do much with it. And then uh, uh, we still continued the effort in 2014 that the uh, Republicans, Re Republicans got control of the Senate. Did a little bit more with that, but it's the energy of the Tea Party movement was very much involved in the populist conservative uh, approach of Donald Trump. And in some ways, it turned out to be a disappointment in the sense that the candidates that were swept in office on the heels of the Tea Party movement, many of them were fake conservatives. And so they got to Washington yeah. or wherever they were going and they were not true believers. I mean, I'll give you one example of Justin Amash got in, the guy from Michigan. And now he's more of a libertarian guy, but he, you know, he's ended up being just kind of a, an odd duck and not really consistently conservative in the way that uh, the folks in the Tea Party uh, thought he would be one example, but there were many examples. I mean, John Boehner, you know, actually tried to speak, you know, I'll tell you a Boehner story. So he, he, he wanted to speak at some rallies. After he was elected, um, Christina uh, Boteri, Lori Medina, great founder of the Tea Party movement from uh, Texas, and uh, Katrina Pearson, who you may know, um, were all early Tea Party organizers. And we were supposed to have a meeting with then Speaker-elect Boehner in Washington. So we flew into Washington and we went, in the speaker's office, and they promised, yeah, he really wants to talk to you guys. He really wants to talk to you guys. Well, came the day, and, you know, an hour after the meeting was supposed to happen, we were still waiting in that big chamber up there, and there came John Boehner with his, you know, orange tan, and he literally just sped by us without even saying a word. Right then I knew it was not, not going to be uh, the kind of Congress that we'd hoped for. Yeah, he literally just walked right by us. Well, I guess that speaks volumes. Whenever I think of Boehner, I think of tears, tears, <laughs> tears, idle tears. So from the Tea Party movement, I know you wrote a book. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote. Yeah, it was a great, great story. The book's called Covenant of Liberty, The Ideological Origins of the Tea Party Movement, published by a HarperCollins imprint called Broadside Books. The editor there was a guy by the name of Adam Bellow, a fabulous, fabulous editor. Right, I've met and Adam. Isn't he great? He, he's, 
He saw Bellow's son, the great novelist, but also in his own right, a spectacular editor. And, uh, you know, he's kind of brave because he would bring on conservative authors. I got that gig because in December of 2009, David Brooks at the New York Times wanted to make fun of the Tea Party. And so he wrote a book kind of making fun of a self-published book uh, that I wrote called Rules for Conservative Radicals, which was, you know, poking fun, taking the Saul Alinsky technique and spinning it around. So he made fun of it. And a guy by the name of Don Fair just started as an agent with Trident Media. And he read the column and he clipped it out and he called me. This never happens. An agent never calls you. I think I was one of his first clients. And then he negotiated the deal with HarperCollins. And uh, the book, I'm very proud of the book. It stands up well over time, but it only sold about 5,000 copies. And Carol, not a single political science class in any college in America has even recommended that book. Well, that's really unfortunate. And I can tell you that the average university press book sells 700 copies. And so I've always done a lot better than that. And so if you're in academia and your book sells 5,000 copies, it's considered a success. Well, that's good. And, uh, but it's very, very difficult, as you know, to write a book. It, would, it took me a long time to write it. And I have to thank Adam Bellow for being a, just a superb editor who helped me frame it. And uh, it's, an, it's an excellent history, if you're a history buff, of, of the concept of, of uh, fiscal conservatism and populism and uh, the constitutionalism. I, I really would recommend it to read through it. Uh, the first 11 chapters are history. The last chapter is sort of what happens next. Well, would you recommend it to high school students and homeschoolers? Because I'm always getting uh, questions from parents about what their children should be reading. You know, I think a really, really ambitious uh, 12th grader could do well with it. But it's really more written for uh, a, a college level introduction or a real history buff, because you have to really be tracking all these things. And of course, it's, as you know, I'm a, such a history buff, and, and uh, as you are. And so it fascinates me, um, but the uh, it's written in, sort of in a narrative fashion, but perhaps it's not uh, written as some of the as well as some of the historians who excel at uh, narrative. But it, I love writing it. We're going to take another break, and when we return, uh, we're going to talk more about um, what you've been doing, Michael, and how you got connected with Breitbart. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's Word with miraculous results? There is such a book, Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesoardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm back with my guest, Michael Patrick Leahy. Uh, Michael, how did you get connected with Breitbart and how did that connection lead to the, uh, the, the various baby Breitbarts? Yeah, so I uh, had met Steve Bannon back in 2009, 2010. And a uh, very impressive guy, one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And I, I got to know him because he was working with Andrew Breitbart on a number of Tea Party-related projects. I met him first, I guess, in 2010. So that's part one of the story. Part two of the story is, as you know, Carol, 
I am a genealogy buff. And uh, I, I find it relaxing. The way people solve puzzles, I find it relaxing to just uh, kind of go to Ancestry.com and see if I can solve the puzzle of, you know, where is this person from? I focus on myself, but and as, as you know, you've done a little of uh, genealogical research on, on your history, which is fascinating, which we, we talk about on the, on the program. But I was uh, fascinated with Elizabeth Warren's false claims of Native American ancestry. You searched out Elizabeth Warren? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know her, I know her entire family history. And, and so I tracked it. And it's easy to find documentation. And uh, there's zero, zero, zero nada in the way of uh, documentary evidence to support her false claim that she has Native American ancestry. And of course, she benefited by falsely claiming that because it made her a more attractive candidate for first the University of Pennsylvania Law School and then Harvard Law School. There's no question about that. And you know, uh, that's no ethnic fraud. Yeah, yeah. Well, she said clearly that that that, that was ethnic fraud. She'll um, and she, she should have probably been brought up on charges on that, but the statute of limitations is far gone. And so she really, um, uh, she, but she has boldly lied about that since 2012. But I did her entire family history, and I tracked down that there was a claim from one obscure researcher that maybe she was 132nd Native American. That's not true at all. It's entirely false. In fact, Carol, um, her, she's a direct descendant of uh, a guy who, Jonathan Crawford, who served in the Tennessee militia in the 1830s uh, that rounded up the Cherokees for the Trail of Tears. Oh my that's goodness. Her, that's her great, great, great grandfather, direct descendant. And then uh, six months later, he went down to Florida to fight the Seminole Indians in a war for six months there. So, you know, she is, and it's just too funny uh, to point out her utter hypocrisy. Anyway, so I'm writing these stories for free for Breitbart just because it was fun. And Bannon, I never read that story. It's a true story. So Steve Bannon, had, had be, he, he was the chairman, executive chairman of Breitbart. Uh, the late, great Andrew Breitbart died as a young man unexpectedly in April 2012. And so uh, the Is role- Is he part of the Clinton uh, body camp? Yeah, <laughs> he died of natural causes. But <laughs> in, in, in this case, um, um, uh, so Bannon said, my stories were just so funny and so humiliating to Elizabeth Warren, and they were so well documented, he said, I'm gonna hire this guy. So he hired me in 2012, and I've been there ever since. And you helped me one. Uh, some years ago, Facebook uh, suspended oh, yeah. my account for a few hours. Uh, it involved Vanderbilt students that were harassing me. And you made one phone call, and I was back up, and I believe they said it was a mistake. <laughs> That's what they said. That's what they said. I think we did, we, we Breitbart did a story on it. I wrote a story about that. And it didn't, uh, let me just say, they didn't want that, that spotlight on them for uh, you know, keeping you away from Facebook unfairly. Michael, there are a lot of things that I would like to cover. And one is you've been very involved with young people and the constitution. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about um, what you're Absolutely. doing as far as education? So at the ten, we started. So I still have my Breitbart gig, but in March of 2000, February 2017, we started the Tennessee Star to basically present conservative news uh, to people in Tennessee. I mean, it's a conservative state, but there were no conservative news outlets. So we started this and had some advertisers who backed us, and it was great. And but it became clear to me 
that we had a long-term problem in the country, and that is our children in public schools, K-12, are not learning about American history and civics and the Constitution. So I, with a couple other folks, Claudia Hennerberry, a former teacher, John Harris, an attorney, I wrote a book called The, the, uh, the Guide to the Constitution Bill of Rights for Secondary School Students. That book was first published in 2017, and we've held three Constitution Bs since in Tennessee. Um, we give college, college scholarships away to, to high school kids. And now this year, we're going to do a national Constitution Bee and have several regional competitions. Uh, that was going to be in June in Washington, D.C., but not, didn't happen because of coronavirus. I think, Carol, we're probably going to move the venue from Washington, D.C. in October uh, because the District of Columbia government is so unpredictable. Um, and I, you know, I don't think you can plan an event there based upon what they might or might not do. So the, both the regional events, we're going to have five around the country, one in Nashville, one in Minnesota, one maybe in Texas, one in North Carolina, one elsewhere, maybe Michigan. And, uh, but in October 17th, we're going to have the National Constitution be right here in Nashville. And could you tell people um, more about how to participate or learn more about it? Yeah, go to nationalconstitutionb.org, nationalconstitutionb.org. You can sign up and we've got a book. We're putting together a podcast of, of all the 21 chapters of the book. And we're, we're, we're going to be launching that uh, fully with all the curriculum. that I think uh, you're with a group that will be uh, promoting the, 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 our book on the Constitution, the Constitution B. We're going to be launching that July the 4th, the full package. So, But you can go right now to nationalconstitutionb.org and sign up. That's part of what you're doing. I'm also interested in, you know, the the, the star newspapers that you've started in yeah. four states. Do you yeah. plan to expand those across the 50 states? Well, that's a very good question. I think so. Yeah, what we're looking at doing there, Carol, is turning into sort of a network news affiliates. And so there were, the, the base is always going to be here in Nashville. But in Ohio, the Ohio Star, the Michigan Star, and Minnesota Sun, We've got some local folks that we're talking to, typically radio folks or other news folks, that will become, essentially, this will be a news network, and they will be our local affiliates. Uh, and they'll cover the local, they'll, you know, they have a, a local news person that will uh, be the, uh, one of the featured people at the Ohio Star, for instance, and so on. But there are several other states that are interested in doing this right now. It's, it, it is, I think, new, unusual, innovative, and it's a counterforce to the mainstream media, or as we call them, the Manchurian media, which has a, a very different view of the world. And then the last thing that I want to talk with you about is you do a daily radio show from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. that airs in Tennessee, but also can be heard by podcasts. That must be grueling. To <laughs> I'm up at 3.30 every morning, Carol. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. It is. But, you know, um, if you're going to do a morning show, it, morning shows start at five o'clock. And uh, so you got to be there. You got to compete. We've got a very strong competitor here in Nashville and they do, they start at five o'clock. So we're starting at five o'clock as well. Why would anyone want to do that? Well, who wouldn't? A daily radio show because I've had opportunities uh, and I've turned them down because it seems to me that you would be so constrained, you wouldn't have time to travel and do other things that are also important. You know, if, you're, if, you, if you have a point of view and you, you wanna persuade people of your point of view and present information, 
there is nothing better in the world than a three-hour talk show program uh, on the radio with iHeartMedia. I mean, iHeartMedia is one of the two giants of radio, and they're fabulous, a fabulous partner uh, to work with. And, you know, I'm on the same lineup as uh, 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 Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and, you know, our own Dave Ramsey. Who wouldn't want to do that? Uh, who has a point of view? It's fun. Well, it's fun on Thursday when I join you. And so well, great. <laughs> you make the show. It's, you know, I, I tell you what, you learn what you're good at and what you're not good at. I am not good at monologues, uh, as Rush Limbaugh is the master of that. I can't, I can't sustain it. But I, I, I think I'm, I'm good at, well, yeah, at interviews. You're showing, you're excellent at interviews. I enjoy the back and forth with an intelligent, informed person who may have a slightly different point of view or maybe an entirely different point of view. I think we prevent, present information to our audience in that di dialogue, which is, and, and we do it in the studio now. You know, for COVID-19, we didn't do it in studio for a while, and it's much more fun in studio. Well, I can tell you that I really enjoy doing my podcast because I get to control the topics, I get to control the guests, yeah. and it really is a way to convey a message. And it's well, been... It's been a real pleasure having you on the Be The People show for the first time. It's great to be with you and, of course, turning the tables with you interviewing me and doing a great job of it, Carol. Thank you. And I um, would like to give you uh, just a few minutes to tell our listeners, uh, again, just where your website, where they can get in touch with you, uh, anything that you need them to donate to. Uh, the no, we, we, we're, we do have a nonprofit, but we're not taking donations. The nonprofit is called Star News Education Foundation. That's promoting the Constitution B in shop and engineering and a teaching methodology called direct instruction. But we're, we're, we're not going to the general public. We're going to high net worth individuals who have an ideological commitment for that. That's a little bit insulting to the, to the average person like that that might want to send you $10. Well, if they want to, we'll take it. And there's a place where they can donate, but it it puts a burden on people. I think I don't. I certainly don't mean to insult anybody, but you know, it's 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 a lot, and it's it's a as a business model, it's very difficult to build a nonprofit based upon ten dollars here and fifteen dollars here, as you probably know, right? I do but, you know. know. The best place to go to is TennesseeStar.com. TennesseeStar.com. We do about sixteen to twenty news stories every day. They're fabulous. They're great. We have great reporters. Uh, Laura Baggert, many commentaries by Carol Swain, uh, uh, Jason Reynolds writes for us, Anthony Gakowski, uh, Chris Butler, uh, Jordan Pear. We have really an all-star lineup of writers, and we you'll get stories at TennesseeStar.com that you won't get elsewhere here in Tennessee. And that is definitely true, and I'm sure it's true also for the other states. And if you want to hear Michael on radio, you can go to iHeart uh, Podcast, and I will have the information about the links on the show description. And so, thank you, Michael. I will Girl, see great. you <laughs> at my regular time on Thursday. And I will have some family genealogy information for you on Thursday on our program. That would be great. And to everyone else, remember, it's up to us the we the people to be the people who change our nation and our world. Until next time.